I have been working on getting more women on the Pickleball Fire podcast. And today, I have Chrissy Vaughn and Terry Graham, who in 2015 left their jobs at Wilson Sporting Goods and founded the U.S. Open Pickleball Championships. And you may have heard that the U.S. Open tournament is the biggest party in pickleball. So let's get to the intro to hear from Chris and Terry. Welcome to the Pickleball Fire podcast, where it's all about pickleball. Today, I would like to welcome to the Pickleball Fire podcast, Chris Yvonne and Terry Graham. How are you doing today? We are doing great. Kind of recovered from the U.S. Open and enjoying the start of summer. I bet that must be quite a recovery, and we will definitely get into the U.S. Open first, but I want to hear a little bit about your pickleball stories, how you first heard about the game, and how long ago that was. Well, it was back in 2013, 14, 15, when we both worked at Wilson Sporting Goods, and we would go around selling racquetball products to national accounts such as Dick Sporting Goods, and they would start asking about pickleball. And at the time, we were like, we don't know what pickleball is, but we can look into it. And then fast forward to 2015, and we did a business plan for Wilson Sporting Goods and realized what was about to happen with the sport, that it was about to explode, decided to leave our corporate boardroom, if you will, and and start the U.S. Open Pickleball Championship. Well, that is quite a leap. And I'm going to ask you more about that. But first, tell me a little bit about when you actually started playing the game. Was that pretty much right after those talks with Thick Sporting Goods? It was in, I think, no, it wasn't right after that. It was, we had done a plan for Wilson and they and then we started to think about the, doing a, a product line for Wilson. We went up to the villages in I think it was January of 15, 2015. And a friend of ours who was in racquetball and uh, platform tennis, he said, come on out. We want you to try this pickleball game. And so we thought, all right, we'll try it. And honestly, we didn't warm up to it right away because as you're coming from racquetball, it's a little different speed. And we were still playing racquetball at that time. So it took us a little while, but after that, we were get, we knew we were getting into sports. So we played a little more. We had some friends teach us the ropes with it. And slowly but surely, we started getting hooked on it. Well, I'm glad you did. And as you mentioned, that must have been a big leap to go from a corporate environment at Wilson Sporting Goods. You probably worked there for quite a few years into something that, you know, starting the U.S. Open for pickleball. I mean, that's a real entrepreneurial endeavor. What was it like making that leap? Well, it didn't really take very much time to make the decision because the business plan was pointing that the sport was about to explode. And we had been at Wilson over 20 years, each of us, and it was just time for a career change. And we had gone to so many events. U.S. Open Racquetball Championships were, was a big one that we took some ideas from. Doug Gannam, who founded that and started that, created a, an incredible event for the sport of racquetball. So we took a lot of his ideas, U.S. Open Tennis, we took ideas from. So it was just time, and we felt like the sport of pickleball was ready and really needed a big event, a party, if you will. And so that's what we did. We started creating the party, and then pickleball came secondary after we created the party. And it was the best move we ever made in our professional career. Yeah. And with that said, Lynn, 
it was scary in a way. We were ready to make the move and we wanted to try to create something. We both kind of like doing that. And but we had no funding. So we committed to funding this ourselves for the first three years. And if it didn't work, we were then gonna close it down. But lucky for us, it was successful the first year and and the rest of the story. You said it was successful the first year, and I know there still must have been some challenges. What were those? The challenges of the first year? That's right. Getting everything going. Yeah. It was a huge challenge. I mean, the first thing was trying to find some sponsors to sponsor something that you had never done before. I mean, think about that. We created a a program and we created a, a deck and we had our story and we had our vision but we didn't have any sponsors to to speak of. So we slowly started getting a few here and there. We presented to the county and and they really took a chance on us too. We were promoting something, like I said, we had never done before, but they liked the vision. They liked the story. They liked, they knew that pickleball was growing and they knew they were going to be a hotbed for it at some point. So they took a chance on us as did some others. And then it was putting together team of people that would work with us and to create this. And the volunteers, that was the other big thing was getting all the volunteers together. We weren't from Naples. We didn't know anybody there, but we were able to put together a team of volunteers. Who have been the backbone of this event from the beginning. How did you land on Naples as being the site for the U.S. Open? Really, it was paradise when we went down there. And when we would go through the area, we thought, who doesn't want to go play pickleball in paradise. It's the perfect, it's the perfect place. Yeah. It was a little bit by chance too. We, we were looking at some different areas. We thought about Vegas, but we were thinking, do we really want to be flying to Vegas all the time to be putting this together? And we were down in the Naples area. We had presented to the villages up in Orlando area. And that was a great area, but their pickleball courts were really spread out. Then we were down in Naples doing some things for Wilson, doing some playtest stuff. And we stumbled upon East Naples and did some research on it, did a presentation. We thought, well, let's just try this. Let's just see if Naples might be interested. And really, we did a presentation. We came back, I think, that January. We did a presentation. And within 48 hours, they came to us and said, yes, we want to do this with you. So we were excited because it's a great place to, to go. That is awesome. and. At the time in 2015, how many courts did they have at the, isn't it East Naples Community Park? Is that the name of the facility? Yes, they had nine permanent pickleball courts. And then they built, they took a skateboard park and they turned that into pickleball courts. And that was another 12, 12, yeah, 12 courts there. And those were, those ended up being permanent and all the other courts were temporary. So we had 18 temporary courts included there, plus our championship court. And how has that changed over the years? Well, championship court now has a million dollar shade structure over it. And we now have 20 more courts that that are out back of the park. And all the courts are deco turf, which is a cushion material, which is very friendly to the seniors. It's friendly to anybody with joint pain and situation, but now we have a $2 million welcome center building there with bathrooms and showers. I mean, I always say to people, the U.S. Open has been very good to Naples, but Naples has been very good to the U.S. Open as well. 
Yeah. So you think about it, there's 60, when we're not, there's 64 permanent, no, 60 permanent dedicated pickleball courts. And when we're there, it's 59 because we take away some to just do the championship court. But, you know, for people to play on permanent pickleball courts is a real treat. That really is. And that's a huge facility. And I admit, I have not been to the U.S. Open. I have not been to Naples. When I go to Florida, I tend to go to the Atlantic side where I go to usually the Space Coast, Co- Cocoa Beach. So I'm going to I'm gonna put it on my calendar for next year. I want to come and yeah, check out this party. Yeah, you to get there. <laughs> so, yeah, so it would be great for you to be there. Yeah. And I'm not a tournament player. My knee can't take it. But in, in terms of that party atmosphere, I mean, like you said, that's the thing that you did that was so smart at the beginning. Describe for people what that is and what that really means. Yeah. First of all, one of the things that's hard with this is when we either have potential sponsors or people we know or friends or pickleball players, and we tell them about the U.S. Open, it's one thing, but there's nothing like being at the U.S. Open. It's just, you can't describe what you're kind of asking us to describe. You can't describe that party atmosphere and how it's different and how it's so special. And it's the people that come. It's not us. It's the people that come there that make it so special. And we always say there's this energy that happens when the U.S. Open gets started and players start coming in. They start coming in on the Friday before. And by Saturday at Party in the Park, it's just the park is just rocking. And you walk around there during the event and you see smiles on everybody's faces and everybody's having a great time. And it's just this festive atmosphere that that we try to create, but the people and the players really brought it along. That sounds very cool and definitely something I would enjoy. Now, when you first, in your first year, give me a sense of how many players there were the first year and how it's grown over the years. Well, the first year we had 850 players over five days, and now we have 2,800 players over seven days. But the big difference between our event and any anything else out there are the spectators. We get people that fly down, you know, 20, 30,000 people will go through that park and they fly down just to hang out with their friends, to watch pickleball, to go to restaurants in, in Naples. They come down for the party. Now for next year, like I said, I'm going to come down for the party for sure. But for somebody who might want to play in the tournament next year, what's the process of being able to compete? Yeah. We ended up going to a lottery system because there's so many people that want to get in. And before what you would have to do is you'd have to be at your computer at 1201 on a certain day and you'd have to click the button and you'd have to hope that we'd have to hope that things didn't crash and things didn't with the amount of people that, you know, would always surprise us each year. So we ended up going to this lottery, which took the pressure off of everyone, but it did make it more random. It made it more where anybody could enter. So starting in January, we have anybody can enter the lottery. So you just sign up during like maybe a five day period, you sign up for the lottery, no pressure. And then we do a random lottery to choose people for each event. I just want to take a second and break in here and thank Club Pickleball for sponsoring this episode. When I first saw Club Pickleball's paddle selection, I thought, wow, These are some of the best designs I have ever seen. The color and the patterns are amazing, and the edge guard even coordinates with the graphite paddle face. What's better is you can create your own custom paddle designs. So go to playpickleball.club and get 20% off everything 
toward the end of July. And how many international competitors did you have this year? I know it's really grown because I talked to a couple of them on the podcast here recently. Yes, I heard that podcast with with the group from Australia, right? Yeah, I talked to Sarah Burr, right? There. Yeah, yeah. It was great meeting them. This was a special year for us because, as you know, how pickleball has just grown so much and continues to grow. The international players are growing. But 2020, we didn't have the event. 2021, many of the international players were not able to come. So we didn't have a lot of international players. So 2022, they came out big time. So I don't know exactly how many players were there internationally, but we had about 25 countries represented. Right. And uh, I talked to Axel, who I think he finished third in the singles coming over from Sweden. And he said, yeah, that was definitely one of his big goals on the podcast was to be able to compete in the US Open. And I think once he got used to the heat after a couple of weeks, he really did well. So it is such an exciting event, regardless of your level. But let me ask you a little bit more about the challenges, because you mentioned not having the event in 2020, besides actually starting the tournament in 2015. Was that kind of your next greatest challenge? We've had a lot of challenges, <laughs> a lot of challenges. We call them curveballs. We get a lot of curveballs every year. It was one of the pieces of advice that Doug Gannam gave us was always be ready for the curveball. And But most of the curveballs don't go public. COVID went public. Right, so everybody right. knew that curveball. Right. So, yeah, I mean, no doubt that COVID was a huge challenge for us, a huge stress. And looking back on it, it's different because at the time we kept thinking we were going to be able to have it. This, whatever this thing was going to go away and we were going to be able to have it. And we kept holding out and holding out. And finally it became apparent that I think it was March 17th, actually, that we made the decision. And that was very stressful. It was, you think about, we were in the ninth inning, everything was already done. Everything was already planned. So many hours put into it. So it was a big disappointment, a big, obviously a big revenue loss for us. Luckily, we are the kind of business people that kind of look ahead. And so we always had it where we were always putting any money we could away for that rainy day, so to speak. Well, we never expected this to happen, but we were prepared. So we were able to weather it. And I don't know if we would have been able to weather two years off. So we were lucky that we were able to come back in 2021. Wow. I did not realize that the timing of it all. I mean, and just 2020, that March 2020 is so absolutely crazy. And it was what the event was probably scheduled for what, mid-April and you had to close it that or say no on March 17th. Yeah, that was right. So for 2022, is there anything that you can say uh, on the air here that you can mention as your curveball for 2022? 2022 or 2023? No, 2022 hasn't happened. Oh yeah. 2022 or 2021? Actually, I was asking about this year, 2022. Okay. This year was the Welcome Center. The county started this building for us last May. And again, due to COVID and limited labor and limited supplies, the building wasn't getting done on time. And it was ticking down to our opening day, which was party in the park, and the grounds were a mess. If anybody had come to that park, which a lot of people regulars did, they couldn't believe what the county did, the Parks and Rec did 
to get that park looking good in literally two weeks. We got a temporary occupancy certificate. So we were able to use the bathrooms, the showers, the meeting rooms, the pro shop area. So it all went off without a hitch, but nobody that came to that park for the event had any idea the curveballs that we were getting day in and day out. And they shouldn't, that's not their, that's not their problem. They, we want them to come and have the time of their life and not worry about a thing. Wow. That is quite a curveball. I cannot even imagine being in your shoes, but you know what? I got to ask you about 2021. (laughs) What was your curveball? I would say that was, we were trying to keep spectators down. We didn't do any of our radio advertising. We didn't do our big social media blasts saying, come to Naples. We were just trying to have a, get it back on track. Well, people were dying to get to Naples and to the U.S. Open. And even though we didn't advertise at all, we kept everything down. We had 25,000 people come down there. We had 2,100 players. So so that was probably our curveball was we just didn't think that many people would come. And they came in droves, busloads of them. Yeah, because we still had, remember, it was still a COVID year. And so the county, we were lucky to be in Florida because Florida's rules were very relaxed, but we still had protocol we had to go by. So we made some changes in 2021 that actually have carried over, that we actually found better ways to do things because of those challenges in 2021. For instance, paper draws. Yeah. Stuff like that. Yep. Interesting. So in terms of, it it sounds like you, you work with the facility and they make improvements. What's on tap for 2023 and beyond in in terms of just making it an even better facility? We work very closely with the county. And like Terry said, they've been really good to us. And we have what we call a master plan that we've gotten approved already. We worked on this a couple of years ago to look forward, to look ahead as to what, what can be done at this park to continue to make it the best pickleball facility in the world. So the next on the docket is not really that sexy, but it's well needed. And we're working on getting the parking lot in the back, which was an old soccer field. We're working on getting that paved. We don't know if it'll be ready for the 2023 event. We're working on that, but for sure it will be ready in 2024. So the parking lot is next on the agenda. Some other resurfacing courts. Yep. Resurfacing courts. That's an ongoing thing. That's pretty expensive to do. So we're going to be resurfacing the championship court this summer. And then then other courts around the park will be resurfaced. So those are the kind of the big things that, that we're doing. And then and then we're, we always just look ahead with them to see what other things can do. So there's some other ideas in the works, but those are the immediate things. All right. So for this last U.S. Open in April... What were some of the highlights of the event for you? Because we haven't really talked about the competition or the pros or anything like that. But, you know, what were a couple of the things that you would say are kind of top of mind? Well, maybe I'll start. We probably have different things that were our highlights. So I think my highlight was how many people were there every day. You Anywhere you walked in that park, it was crowded, but it didn't feel that crowded. It was like we had some really, the new building gave us a place for people to go. And I was concerned because we had 700 more players than we ever had before. And I felt like we had maxed ourselves out before. And I just was concerned with, were we going to be able to handle the crowds? And was the park going to be able to handle it? And 
gosh, Sunday through Thursday just ran like clockwork. So that was a highlight from uh, Friday and Saturday. We had the hiccup of rain, but I think that was my highlight is how many people came and how well the park handled it. Yeah. And I think it was, Chris mentioned how smoothly the tournament ran and credit pickleballtournaments.com and Melissa and the whole team of how they managed so many people and kept the tournament going. And the other big part were the volunteers keeping this tournament on, on time and keeping it going and keeping the park clean. And I mean, it, that's the highlight for me are the volunteers and seeing their smiles and just being the first to arrive and the last to leave and the energy they bring to make everybody ha- have a great time. And I can't even imagine what you guys go through, but give me an idea, Chris and Terry, how do you kind of divvy up the responsibilities of what you do? It's interesting because it kind of comes really naturally. My strengths are Terry's weaknesses and Terry's strengths are my weaknesses. And, and it just kind of flows, but we always, we work together on everything. We always bounce things off each other. We, we love creating new things together and having new ideas and trying to see what we can make work. But I work a lot with the volunteers. I work a lot with the VIP and then just the general registration process and procedures. I do a lot of that. Yeah. I'm more, I think on the business side of it, the sponsors, even though we both work with sponsors, we both work with the County. seems like anything more business set up. We've got two of our team members, Jim Ludwig and Brian McKenzie, who do are just incredible logistically. And Brian does all the IT stuff. And I work closely with both of them and we'll dream, Chris and I'll dream up an idea over a bottle of wine. And then we throw it out to Jim and Brian. And at first they look at us like we have four heads, but then they go and they create something bigger and better than we ever imagined. I mean, those two have really helped us out a lot as well. So it's just, yeah, come very naturally. Yeah. And when we started this, we knew right away. And I think anybody that does something like this, that you've got to surround yourself with people greater than you and people that have different skills than you. And we were lucky again, that from our volunteer captains to like Terry said, Brian and Jim to just other people that we found people that had skill sets that we didn't have that could help us with this creation. Well, back in 2015, did you imagine that the U.S. Open for pickleball would become what it is today? Not in a zillion years. We thought when we put this together, I remember saying to Christian, if we could get a thousand players, that would be really cool. Not even thinking of spectators. And I think that's the big thing that, that at least I wasn't prepared for was I knew you can plan for the people coming to play, but we never planned for spectators that first year. And we probably had six or 7,000 spectators, but to fast forward to 2022 and have 2,800 players and 35,000 spectators and the revenue that comes through there for the food trucks and the concessionaires and the vendors, not in a, a zillion years would I ever have dreamed this would be this big. Yeah. When every, I think the last few years, maybe every year during setup, a lot of people don't realize that this takes about two weeks to set up, two solid weeks to set up. We have the week of the event and we have a week of teardown. And 11 so, months of planning. Yeah. So, so we it's a big nut to crack, but during setup, I think there's always a time that Terry and I stop and we're like, what the heck is going on here? We have semis coming in with delivery trucks and we have this project being done and that, and a whole bunch of different things going on at once. And it's kind of mind boggling to think of sometimes what it takes to put this all together. So then at this point, you guys are in your recovery slash planning stage, it sounds like. Yes. 
we are. <laughs> because as soon as we end, we're calling vendors and sponsors to recap the year, but then to also look ahead. Like, what are the ideas? What do we want to do differently? So we, we start planning for the next year right after a year ends. But we do get a little time, and, and we're working all the time on this, but we get a little time in the summer to kind of chill out and take a break before we really dive in heavily in the fall. All right. So why don't you give us the dates for the 2023 event so people can get ready for that competition? Yeah, the dates are April 15th through 22nd. And really the best thing for people to do if they want to get information about the lottery or anything else about getting tickets is to sign up for our email updates. And it's just a short little form you fill out that's on our website. So you go to usopenpickleball.com. And there's an email update form. And if you fill that out, then you'll get a monthly email. So we don't bug you all the time, but there's some really neat stuff in that email that people may be interested in. All right. That's cool. I'm definitely going to go and sign up myself since I've now committed myself on air to going in April of 2023 to enjoy the party. To finish up today, Chris and and Terry, is there... Anything else that people should know? You know, I don't think so. I think it's just what we have learned from people is what people that maybe have not experienced the U.S. Open should know. What people tell us is that this is on their bucket list, that this is where they go and truly have the time of their life, that this is where they go and they take a vacation with their pickleball friends. I mean, how many times do you do that in your life? And so this is what we hear from people that come and, and it makes us really happy to watch these people come and enjoy the event with their friends and family. So I think that's what people should know is if you love pickleball and you love that this kind of atmosphere, come and give it a try. All right. Well, I thank you so much, Terry and Chris, for being on the Pickleball Fire podcast. It's such an exciting event, and I will definitely be looking forward to it next April. Well, thanks for having us, Lynn. Thank you for listening to the Pickleball Fire podcast. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to give it a five-star review on Apple iTunes. 